Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Milo and Ricky. Hello, chaps. Good evening, Steph. Excellent. Good to see you both again. Uh, We will be going over yesterday's Tea Time Clash at the Amex Stadium with Brighton, which Ricky was at, and we'll be asking him about that later. It saw a gutsy and impressive 1-0 victory to keep us third in the Premiership. Look, you don't need me to tell you that these are unpredictable times, however, and it seems as though now more than ever, nothing is predictable. And that just when you think life in 2022 might take a breath from dealing bad news, a chunk comes flying in from around the corner. Uh, The week that was is sadly dominated by one such instance, uh, the incredibly sad and frankly unfathomable news that Gian Piero Ventrone our 61-year-old fitness coach, passed away suddenly on Thursday morning at a hospital in Naples. The Spurs family has been shaken in a way that I can rarely remember, uh, especially for someone who uh, only joined us last November. Uh, He was a core member of Antonio Conte's preparation and football thinking and life, um, became enormously popular with the players, uh, despite pushing them to the very limits and beyond physically and mentally. And it's very, very clear that Antonio's uh, sadness is is, is immense because he and Gian uh, started this football journey when Antonio was a player in uh, Marcelo Lippi's Juventus. And uh, that's where Ventroni's methods ushered in many, many trophies. Um, Our players too have been extremely sad, expressing their sorrow very, very heartfully and heartfeltly, I think is the the right way to put it. And rather than say much more about that, we're going to let them and their words do the talking. So um, I'll start by, uh, let me read what Harry Kane had to say about it. Harry said, a truly remarkable man. I'm devastated by the passing of our coach, Gian Piero. My love and strength is with his family at this time. His words and wisdom will live on with me for the rest of my life. And I'm just grateful I had the opportunity to spend time with him. R.I.P. Prof. And Eric Dyer said, We didn't know each other long, but I know everyone would agree it wouldn't take you long to leave your mark on anyone that was lucky enough to be in your presence. Your commitment and passion to help every single one of us in understanding our real limits and constantly push them is unmatched. You probably look at me at this point and say, Eric... There are no limits. The endless lessons you taught me will stay with me forever. And more importantly, I will do everything to continue to try and implement them in my life and profession. I'm going to miss those morning gym sessions, Prof, and cherish them forever. I'll sign off like you always did. Strength and honour. Yeah, we're going to just so you know, we're going to read every tribute that we saw because it's very, very important that you know how deeply this loss has been felt by the club, in our opinion. Uh, Richarlison said, Since I arrived at Tottenham, Jean has been a huge inspiration to me. He always said that I would help him a lot during the season, that I was a warrior, and even that my hair looked like his since I dyed it white. (laughs) But who helped me was him, and much more than he could imagine, especially at the beginning when he said I shouldn't lower my head under any circumstances, no matter what. Today, we woke up to the terrible news of his passing and we were all devastated, but we will continue to play for you, my friend, who taught us never to give up. Thank you so much, and rest in peace. Emerson Royal said, I wish I could thank you for what you did for me. I can't express in words the pain that is in my chest. You will always be our prof, not just me. We are all grateful for what you did for us. The days will never be the same without your presence. Rest in peace, my eternal friend. Lucas Mora said, I have never worked with anyone who encouraged us and taught us to exceed our limits as much as you did. Great professional, amazing human being. You will be forever in our hearts. May God comfort your family. Thank you for everything, prof. Ron Sessignon said, was such an amazing person, devastated by the news, was always positive and always pushing us to our limits to become better. My love and strength goes to his family and everyone connected to Gian Piero at this difficult time. Rest in peace, Prof. Todd Klein, uh, our chief commercial officer, said, Beyond sad news, GPV was a force of nature who made a positive impact on everyone he met. I will miss our conversations on the road and his contagious positive attitude. Just a phenomenal human. My thoughts are with his family and friends. One of the players who said to be closest to Vetroni was uh, Son Heung-min, who had spoken last month about their friendship and the impact he had had on him. Sonny said the following, The world has lost a truly special person. Gian, you helped me get through the hardest times and together we celebrated some incredible memories. I cannot put into enough words my gratitude to you and how much I owe you. We will miss you so, so much. Thank you for everything, my friend. I'm sending all my love to you and your family. And Hugo Loris had said this uh, before the game. It's been hard. Even if we try to move on, we cannot forget Gian Piero, the man. We cannot forget the fitness coach he was and the importance he had in our changing room. We've tried to prepare the game as well as we could, but it's not been easy. 
because many people were devastated. We cannot forget, but we will try to move on. And obviously today, we will respond as a team. And finally, before the game, Antonio Conte said the following to Sky Sports. To find words for Giampiero is very difficult at the moment. I am, and we all are, devastated by the pain of what has happened. Sometimes life is not always a positive situation. And for this reason, we have to cope in the best possible way. And also because I know Giampiero wanted us to stay strong. We will continue to do our work in the way that he taught us. Like everyone, we are truly devastated by this news and we send our love and best wishes to Gian's family and friends. And look, whatever Tottenham Hotspur achieve with this squad and this manager, Gian Piero Ventrone's importance in providing the, screen, the springboard will not be forgotten. That much is extremely clear. Um, and chaps, uh, there was also further sad news yesterday um, when it emerged that our former striker John Duncan had died at the age of 73. Uh, John played 103 matches for us in that hugely transitional spell between 1975 and 1979, joining from Dundee and scoring 53 goals in the process. It is fair to say that without the injuries he suffered, that goal total and his appearance would have been much greater. And we send our sincere condolences to the Duncan family. So, um, yeah, that was the week that was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a lot, really. There's a lot going on there emotionally for, for this football club and to prepare for a game against a team like Brighton, who play exceptionally well at the Amex Stadium and are going very well and uh, were right behind us in the table, if I'm uh, not incorrect at one point, if they weren't uh, even before the game started. They could have overtaken us if they'd won. There we are. I think if exactly. they'd beaten us 3-0, they, they would have got jumped above us. Yeah. Uh, so, you know... Let's get into it. Let's let's talk a little bit about what was a challenge and a half and that ended in a 1-0 win after a third away game on the trot and was exactly the sort of courageous fortitude that Jean-Piero approved of. Um, so, you know, Ricky, if you would, um, you were there braving the train strike, uh, as you did. Um, kick us off with an overview of the pre-match uh, feelings in the ground. Well, I think everyone had enjoyed themselves because, uh, to say the least, it was a glorious sunny day. Um and a day at the seaside when it's like that is a great doubt for anyone. I think, um, and Brighton is really one of my favourite places. Really, it's such a it's such a kind of um, such a vibrant place. It's a real melting pot culture, and I think there was plenty of Spurs fans there. Fair enough, fair play to them because as you as you mentioned, there was a train strike, and I mean. I suppose indirectly, I say thanks to Mick Lynch because that's probably why I was at this game, really, because there was a train strike, so there was tickets available. But, um, but, in, but on the flip side of that, he was obviously directly responsible to the kind of shuttle and bus hoo-ha that everyone had to enjoy to endure to try and make their way out to Falmer because, there's, as people might know, there's a direct train there to Falmer right next to the stadium, and that wasn't available on Saturday. So um, it was a bit of a... It really was a bun fight to get on various buses or coaches to get there and um and actually I was thinking that's probably why they cancelled the Palace game I think because um the way it was fragmented everyone getting there I mean Palace and Brighton obviously don't like each other too much so I suppose that was a good decision judging by um what was going on yesterday but um yeah I mean the atmosphere was I mean people a fair play to all the Spurs fans that did make it because it's a long old trek down there trying to get out of London if you're trying to find your way onto the M23 but um, but yeah, the atmosphere was good. I think I think people the way fans normally are, they, you know, they're in fine voice and um, looking forward to what would be a tough game. I mean, I've been to many of uh, an away game at the Amex, and we've had a mixed bag there. Let's face it, from the um, demise of Poch, literally before my eyes, uh, to um, I think last year was uh, one of the first games with Conte where it felt like a routine win. And normally you don't. Yes, it you was the beginning that. of our sponsorship with Coca Cola, was it not? <laughs> oh, it was actually. Yeah, that was the, the the bottle. Yeah, I actually think I probably had a few drops of that Coke bottle as he kicked it in front of me. Yeah, that was that was that game. Um, so yeah, and it's tough. It, it's tough against Brighton. We watch them on the telly, and we know that they're capable. Yeah, I'd say I saw quite a lot of um, Brighton fans giving us credit for selling out our our end or yep. our, our corner, despite the train strike. It's a shame that um, I mean that's the one bad. It's a cracking away day, and I mean in the old days you could probably walk to the Goldstone from the 
town there you, you know it's, it's more hoven but you could probably do it i mean that's the only downside to it It'd be one of the especially with the weather like it was it's one of the best away days you can have and most people when the trains are running that's an easy line down from london so i mean let's talk now about uh the team selection uh, we've been discussing things uh you know formation related for some weeks here and uh and he did finally uh start with a 352 uh what did you think of the team selection in that regard me um i think he basically he must have caved into um the relenting pressure from our illustrious host, I think, Steph, and switch to three five two. I think, um, <laughs> I think, I think Milo must have let him into our WhatsApp chat, and um, he's just taken, you know, he's taken direction from you and thought, God help him, God help him, if that was even remotely true, if it was remotely true, he's lost it. <laughs> uh, what did you think of the team selection, chaps? I mean, I was a little surprised. I, I thought he would make well one. I thought Sessegnon would come in for Royale and Perisic, he'd play Perisic on the right. Um, so I was a little bit surprised. But it probably wasn't a bad game to make that switch. It's you know, it's a formation that we've all been curious to see. You know, it's probably yeah, it's probably the other other obvious option other than just bringing in uh bringing in Sess for for Royale. Yeah, I think it I mean it aligns with I mean as I said last week, I think I think it aligns with if you're going to moan a little bit about the fixture congestion, then you do have to do something about that regarding selections every now and then. And I think we changed, we just changed two. No, did we change two people or three people? Three people, I think, because Davis came in for Longley. Davis uh, came which in, doesn't really bother and, me. Uh, and yeah, yeah, and and obviously he's been a bit cautious, Basuma. But what would one point I would make with Basuma? He, may, I might be thinking if I was a manager that. He kind of Basuma. He knows the surroundings. Ancess, he knows sorry, the stadium. Ancess, Ancess, so oh, Ancess, yeah. Oh, so it is four. Yeah. So that's actually more than probably I was thinking. But yeah, the Basuma point I was making was just that he knows that. I mean, if you're going to play him in this game, he knows the surroundings. He knows the stadium. He knows the pitch. He probably has quite a lot of awareness of their players. So that's 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 a positive thing to bring Basuma into. I think. I think that's a bit of a softer kind of chance of giving him a start with the in the starting eleven. Uh, let's let's get into it. How do we play overall? I think I would mean, say it's a bit it's a bit like the conversation we had last week with the Arsenal game. I think you've probably got to take split it down in terms of kind of before our goal and after our goal. So before our goal, uh, and I think we have to look at kind of how Deserby set, set up Brighton. So typically, Roberto Deserby he's he's got some similarities with Conte in that he he typically will have his team sit back, they'll recycle the ball deep try and draw teams into a press and then play fast attack you know fast attacks on the break so it can look like counterattacking there are a lot there are differences between them but there is a there are some similarities and i think brighton started the game playing like that they weren't pressing us they were we we had the ball so again there were some similarities to what we saw with the frankfurt game where we had a lot of the ball and we were pushing further up the pitch mm. and brighton were quite happy with that and once we scored, you know, which, you know, the goal came from a set piece. So it wasn't necessarily through kind of our tactical approach to the game. It was, you know, I think this goes down as a, as a VO assist again. Um, and I think he's probably our highest assist. Uh, he's got the most assists in anyone, uh, for the season. After the, the goal, Brighton pushed up more against us. And I think there's a combination here in terms of, you know, we, we, we were comfortable to revert to our normal game, which is, kind of what I just said that Brighton were doing, sit back, allow them to attack, and then try and attack the space. But Brighton were chasing the game at that point. So I think there's an interesting tactical matchup between these managers here. They faced each other a, a few times in Syria. Um, they t- typically were high-scoring games. And uh, you know, one of the differences between De Zerbi and Conte is that De Zerbi, uh his teams typically concede a lot more, uh, but they score. They're, they're quite high-scoring. Um, but yeah. There are some there are some interesting uh, matchups there, and that's how I saw the game. I saw that you know, Brighton started off sitting back, recycling the ball deep, trying to draw us on, and then after we scored, they had to push up more. They were actually very effective, I thought, in pressing us, but also we were quite happy to sit back and sit deep, soak it up, and then try and play on the break. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll caveat everything. I'll say that I've not watched a rerun of the game or any highlights, so this is just my live impression from the stand. And I had quite a good view. I had a lovely seat right in the back row of that lower tier so I could see pretty much what was going on um yeah I agree with my luck. we started well and maybe as he, as he said it was like the Frankfurt game where we had a we seemed they seemed to cede control to us or we were just taking control and any attacks from them we were keeping very much at arm length arm's length and it was 
And I was actually at that point thinking, oh, what we're going to probably talk about is, is this kind of new, more control of the game because of 3-5-2 and we're not playing 3-4-3 because we've got an extra man in the middle. So we've got, you know, an extra man hounding them, getting the ball off them, retrieving the ball and distributing it. And I was going to be interested to see what the kind of passing maps were like. But then we scored and... I think it was a bit weird because two minutes after, for two minutes after we scored, it was almost as though we were really buoyed by scoring and then they were kind of a bit shocked. Yeah. And I thought it looked we like... We nearly got in for a second, yeah. We nearly got yeah, in we, for a second. It looked right like afterwards. we were kind of sort of thinking we can, we're going in for the kill here. And then we had a little, we had a few moments of just really either slow passing or being a bit ponderous and it kind of almost like relinquished momentum. And it may have been that or we may have just then gone back into sort of our old kind of defensive hold what we have we're a really secure unit you've you've got to get through us if you need to get back in this game and we may have I, I'm not quite sure whether that was an instruction from the side or whether we know to do that or it's, it's just quite hard to fathom really because there are quite a lot of I mean, there's quite a lot of similarities week to week with us in other words quite not not a lot changes a lot of the time you touched there on about the three-man midfield. I think one of the differences it did make is that early on, it allowed us to push Hoybier and Bentancur up. So they, they were man-marking McAllister and uh, yeah. Casado. Um, and then when they were when Brighton were pa- playing out from the back, um, Kane and Son were going wide. So you, you got the centre-back splitting, as, as is the tendency now. Kane and Son were going wide so that um, uh, Sanchez didn't have the easy pass out to the centre-backs. Hoybier and Bentancur were on yeah. McAllister and Casado. So he's got to go long, and uh, Brighton couldn't play out because uh, because Hoybier and Bentacur were, uh, were were man marking. As the game went on, that changed, but uh, that was a, that was a, a, a change that we couldn't have done, or a, a, you know, a, a tactic we couldn't have done uh, if we'd played three four three. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to, and there was also uh, to your point, Milo, about the fact that these two managers have history and, and almost a sort of a quite interesting chess game with each other. Um, uh, the Brighton manager did say that he was caught by surprise by our yeah. formation and and was not expecting that, uh, which which probably uh, seems seems pretty obvious because it was first twenty twenty five minutes we were really in total control. I, I can't remember which of the Arsenal pods we recorded last week whether um, whether it was the one that got released or the one that didn't get <laughs> released um, when we were talking about kind of different formations and you know, one of the things we, I think I, I'd said was um, if we did switch. At least it gives a, a a question in the other manager's mind as to how we're going to approach the game. So you know maybe this kind of backs that up. I mean, one thing briefly on yeah. Tzerbi, I, I I think he might be one to watch as a potential successor to Conte. I know this is very early days, and you know it's new the, in the league, and the roles he's had previously, uh, you know, it would be far, obviously far too big of a jump. But he's done quite well at getting uh, lower lower level teams to mid table and above so not dissimilar to what Potter did at, at Brighton um the way he plays there are some similarities to Conte there are some differences as well but there are some similarities I think he'd be a good match for our squad and I'm not saying this is going to happen anytime soon but if we wanted to establish a way we were playing under Paratici and if he's a success at Brighton he might be he might be an option in the future it, it, it'll be interesting to see how he does he's very highly rated and, and he's done good things so far in his career yeah just to just to put forward some things i've speaking to brighton fans about and they seem to, they this and i'm not sure if this is a potter thing or whether the new blokes doing this but they seem to play at the moment with welbeck being a bit of a kind of doing a bit of a disservice a bit of a poor man's Firmino as in mm-hmm. he'll be up he'll be the main point up front and then he's been I don't think that's a disservice I think it's quite I think it's quite accurate yeah <laughs> no but I'll say he's a poor man so maybe he's better than a poor man's that's what I mean Steph you know I wouldn't, no. wouldn't necessarily agree no no and I repeat I think you're accurate so. oh okay uh, but that's that's his role that's his role in the team and of course that's really benefited with Gross and McAllister this year they come on to what he you know he he delivers to them and maybe, like you're saying, Milo, that's why we thought an extra man in the middle there has got a bit more of a marshalling of them, them men making the second runs, you know what I mean, working off of Welbeck, and it just gave us a bit more protection there. Mm. I think there's a lot to admire about Brighton. I mean, I think, you know, they're a really well-run mm. club. They scout their players well. They bring, you know, they, they're a good fit for the system. I'm pretty sure that they will have been looking at other managers for a while because they knew that Potter was a, a man in demand and that someone was going to come in and get him eventually. They're just really well well run. And you look right the way through that squad and you look at the players, you think, they're a good player. They're a good player. They could do a job. They could yeah. do a job. Um, and 
you know, just, I mean, say, I, I was thinking about Sanchez, their keeper, you know, Lloris, we know that he has got long left left with us. I, you're, I, you're on one. You're on the, this, is, this is the Brighton-Tottenham transition uh, pod going on well, here. <laughs> I, I was about. I was about to talk about uh, uh, Lewis Dunk for the World Cup. It's uh, you know just um, maybe. Uh, uh, no, I think. Okay, spot uh, question. What's your fa- What's your favourite maritime bird? Ooh. is this getting cut? No, <laughs> no I'm gonna leave. It this. is because he's taken too long and he refuses to go for the cheap for the cheap gag here. Because of course what's I was waiting for him gag? to go seagull. I was waiting for him to go seagull, wasn't I? So. Seagulls. <laughs> <laughs> Herring it's gold, not actually a bird, is it? It's to say, it, yeah, a herring gull or you know, black headed gull. It's a seagull, isn't a bird? It's not. Oh, <laughs> there we go. You should leave this whole thing in because it will absolutely explain how deeply uh, we go into weekly match analysis on the game is about glory. You don't get this anywhere else. Even the puns are forensically analysed yeah. by our crack squad. But let me let me bring us back if I can just briefly yeah. to what we're, how we're playing overall. What's that? Sheer water. There you go. Uh, <laughs> there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I felt, uh, bringing us back to how we played overall, I mean, I mean, look, I think everyone has pretty much covered the, the, the base points. What I was looking up frantically and still couldn't find an answer for um, was the minute that Bissouma got his booking because somewhere in my game narrative, it seemed that our, you know we, we, we started to slow down a little bit once he got that that yellow card because he seemed to again get it fairly early and I actually have to say I thought it was a poor decision to book him I didn't think he was booking I mean I had some issues with the referee yesterday anyway I thought he was quite poor um but I don't know if it's a factor or not I don't know if we would agree that that was a factor or not um maybe not I thought it was a stupid challenge um completely unnecessary and and he, he picked up a stupid one it was against West Ham wasn't it so his other start yeah. And it was another first half yellow card. It was another early-ish one, wasn't it, in that game? So I don't think this one had as much as a, of an impact on how we were playing. I say I put it down to, as I said, you know, Brighton pushing up after um, after okay. we scored, you know, trying to take the game, and, and us being quite happy to you know sit back and play on the break. Um, okay. I mean, I, I thought in terms of kind of Doherty and Basuma coming in, I thought both of them looked looked a little rusty. Um, I thought Doherty got better as the game went on. Um, Basuma, I would have said that this was more of a West Ham Basuma performance than a Leicester Basuma, Basuma performance. That's harder to say than I thought it was going to be. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's understandable. You know, neither of them have played a huge amount and it's going to take them a while to find their feet. Well, I mean, but let's talk about Matt Doherty for a minute. I mean, you know, the, the man has been out of favour to the point that we were discussing whether Antonio had given up on him last week. I mean, I think I was actually trying to frantically make clear that he was not referring to Matthew as an idiot in that famous quote he gave where he said, I'm not seeing anything from Matthew. I'm not an idiot. I don't want to lose. Um, and, 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 you know, you knew he wasn't saying that about the player. And, and of course, he starts him. I think it's the right decision to make. I think it would have been a terrible message, actually, in retrospect, to put Ivan Perisic out there. And I mean, it would have been basically bye-bye. So it's not just tactically smart. It's good squad management. It's the right thing to do. I have to say, positionally, he was he was excellent. I mean, he was in all the right places at all the right times. The fact in the first 10 minutes, he actually got in into what you would argue were good goal-scoring opportunities. And I think that's where we saw the rust. I mean, I thought he was very rusty on mm. on a couple of those finishes that you might have expected him to hit the target with. But generally speaking, I think you have to say he's nailed a really, really good claim to keep that shirt for the foreseeable future, even when Emerson comes out of his suspension, because he's only going to get stronger because he's going to get match fit. That very early one where he kicked it out and then it looked like we were going to get a corner was just hilarious. So you watch the replays mm. of that and there's just... There was there was a good cross from Cessnion that he spooned as well, didn't he? Um, I, I I thought. I mean, the problem with Doherty is always going to be that he offers nothing in build-up play. Um, he can't carry the ball. He didn't carry the ball a single time in that game. But what he brings is uh, uh, he's a lot better in the final third. And um, yeah, rustiness aside, he's a, the link-up play between him and Cessnion was a lot better than we've seen with Royale. Uh, yeah, Royale just. Yeah, he has a brain freeze when he gets into the box or, you know, the final third of the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd agree that, you know, although it was a rusty performance, I think there was enough there that you'd hope, you know, if he's going to get the next two Premier League games, I think there's a fair chance that he retains his position at the end of that. And yeah. I mean, the other what you'd normally say is that Royale 
has you know is better than Doherty in the defensive part. But the tackle that he put in very late in the game that earned the kind of bear superb. hug from Dyer was was superb. Yeah, I mean, just superb. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I did think he's, he started a bit slowly or tentatively, but then he hasn't played a lot of football for Ireland. Well, he's played for Ireland, yeah. I suppose, but he's not played a lot of football. And so he wasn't quite sure maybe when to go and when not to go. Because quite often in that, the other yeah. thing to remember with this is the same with Cess on the other side. He's in a 3-5-2. You're more likely to have, you've got the whole wing to yourself. You haven't necessarily got someone that you're mm-hmm. necessarily connecting with in front of you. And both of them, I thought, used that wing quite well, especially Cess, but I think we'll get on to him. But going back to Doherty, um, he did. He arrived in the area. We had some of them Cess to Doherty movements that I think Conte likes. And he started, he definitely grew into the game. I mean, there's, there's one thing I noticed in the game, which is slightly frustrating is he would stand out on that touchline. If Romero had it in that right channel, um, he wouldn't know whether to stay there to get it off Romero or to then go beyond his man. And if he doesn't go beyond his man, I would actually like either Kane, but preferably Sun to mm. sort of curve off or spin in behind the centre back because. When you're looking from down the pitch, there's a whole big there's a whole big chunk of space on that kind of right hand side where he could just play the ball into that space. Romero and Romero wanted to do that, but we were kind of static. And one of them that was static was Doherty to start with, and it was just a bit frustrating because I don't think Webster or Dunk are blessed with great speed, and I think we could have probably had some kind of um, effect there. But um, apart from that, no, I'm pleased with I'm, I'm with you, Steph. Really, I'm pleased with. And I'm pleased with what he contributed on Saturday. And I think he's he's got a big chance of hopefully climbing up the um, Conte good book ladder. That's a mixed up analogy. But, um, no, no, it's fine. We know yes. exactly what you're saying and I, yes. I, I, I like it. The Conte and, good book ladder is excellent. Yes. And, um, uh, yeah, hope, and, but I don't know. I know Emerson is quite a favourite of Conte's in a trust kind of way. So um, we'll just see how it goes. What did you both think of the longer goatee i thought there was kind of shades of the lead singer of the stereo mcs or maybe someone you saw oh, so- saucer eyed at an early 90s rave um you know in yeah. a just, you, just, you just actually made it far more appealing than i was feeling uh feeling it at the time if i'm thinking he looks like rob from stereo mcs i actually think right. all right that's pretty good not he's quite, got the cheekbones so, not, as well. he's got the cheekbones what, he has yeah, he has. That's incredible. His cheekbones are incredible. I mean, they don't look real, do they? They don't look natural. They look like they're the result of some unhealthy stereo MC's nightlife living or something, <laughs> don't they? I mean, it's there. But I'll tell you what doesn't work for me is the, is the Tash goatee and that he's got that sort of almost fringe. It's bordering on a dumb and dumber fringe. That was quite worrying, yeah. I thought. No, it's no, you're right. Good, you're, you're, on, you're, on home, you're on home territory now, Steph. We're talking about haircuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, I did. I did. I mean, I did mention that with the Granite Shackers last week that he's got a bit of a dumb and dumber, where he's gone from yeah. the slightly spiky to the that kind it of must direct be, straight mu- line kind of trim thing going on. It, it must be. It it must be a trend. Back to Doherty and back to Bissouma, indeed, and and the shape and everything. I think. Look, let's throw this into the pot here because it is important. I think again, everyone has to remember the context of their performances and the game and what had happened during the week with with Giampiero yep. Ventroni. I mean, there was a lot going on. And this was a switching system for a manager who does like to relentlessly prepare and and and, and frankly said before the game, you know, I, we didn't because I mean he was talking in an emotional fact about I usually G the players up, but I didn't have to. But you know, there were a lot of factors that were not normal this week. And so to step in for your first game of the season in, in Doherty's position and hold it that way and help claim another clean sheet, I think you can't underestimate the strength of that performance on that yeah. basis alone. Well, I mean, Conte said, we're probably jumping ahead to a later question here, but Conte said that they um, abandoned training on Thursday. So Friday was the only training session they had in, in preparation for this game. I suspect, actually, the formation uh, we have been using in training. I'd, I'd be surprised if we hadn't been training in a three-five-two yeah. on occasions. You know, we have used it before. Yeah, you know, we used it yes. a couple of times last season. We've used it, um, uh, you know, uh, once this season. Um, uh, so... Uh, uh, Absolutely. I'm sure. I'm sure it's not completely new to the players. I'm sure we have done some work on no. it. Um, but yeah, I, I think. I, I mean, to the success, the success of its deployment alone for even half the game yesterday is is, is proof of that for sure. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. It's it's got to be a part of what we've been doing in the summer, even. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I, I must admit, I, I was surprised we didn't see it used in in preseason at all. Um, I, I, I would have would have expected us to try it at least for a half in one game, but. Mm-hmm. We didn't, but I mean, I think in terms of formation, I think, you know, it's useful to have 
a plan B, I suspect, as a as a starting formation when Decky's back. I I can't see us doing it too often, but um, it's you know it, it, it is useful and and it, you know as you said before, Steph, you know when we're down to kind of three forwards, rotating it to one of them stays fit makes sense. I mean, I wonder if even mid-game in this run of matches, we're going to see it used to be able to rest a player, and you know, and because we've got a, a squad that possibly leans more towards that at this point than not. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's a tactic to get. I mean, I, I worry about Harry Kane, and we will get into that later. Um, but you know, we've got Harry Kane and Eric Dyer. Uh, these players are playing a lot of minutes, and they're getting knocks. It's 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 concerning. We have to find a way to rest them. I suppose the other thing, actually, you know, coming out of this game is the first time we've seen Perisic used as a forward. And you know, maybe actually, you know, we, we were talking last week about kind of the lack of a suitable decky mm. understudy. But maybe actually, that maybe actually Perisic could have been that because you know he's got a wonderful range of passing. He's got a, he's got a, a, a wonderful a, of a left foot. Um, yeah. You could quite easily put him out there, and and he could play balls in. It's you know, it's not something we've seen. But I thought maybe this is a nice segue into the next section. I thought Cess did enough yesterday to you know to justify um, you know starting again very soon. I thought he was excellent. Okay, let's let let's get into that segue as you quite rightly said about Ryan Sessegnon, who I believe in some quarters was voted man of the match. Um, uh, all quarters, he, he was uh, Sky's man of the match, and he was Spurs fans' man of the match. Interesting. We'll discuss that in a minute, but um, I- I'll kick this off um, because my take might be slightly controversial. He had a fine game yesterday, but I'm still left on occasion feeling that there's more, that there- he could have more. And I'm-, I'm looking and I'm thinking that sometimes there seems to be an extra 10 or 15% that he could give in terms of confidence and belief, uh, in terms of really aggressively taking the game that is his to take. Um, it- it- it's- I might be misreading it, but occasionally I feel he's he- he's hesitant and i'd look and i'm like you've got you've got it all you're physical you're smart you're strong you've got the skill i i, I just sometimes feel there's there's a bit more and you're just ah. Oh, and sometimes i find myself exasperated with him despite the great game he had um am i alone in that feeling no i think i mean i've always said that i thought steph's uh oh, steph's been <laughs> Seth, not steph uh, Seth has been a bit timid. You're definitely not timid, Seth. Um, uh, but um, I think he's he's improving that. He's he's kind of it's kind of evaporating slightly the timidness. But I agree with you. I always just feel like he's a bit. I think it's a bit of. A, I think Josh Onomo used to be a bit like this, didn't he? Do you remember? You always think you've got so much and so much talent, but I just you just. It's almost where is there a mental thing that's not going to make them kind of the top level player that their physical attributes and their skills and their technical ability could. Um, but he's getting there. He's getting there. As I say, he had that whole flank to himself and he was up and down, up and down, up and down. The one thing he's never going to be lacking for is fitness beyond being injured, obviously. But like, you know, energy wise, he can give it all. And I think I think his crossing's all right as well. I don't think it's it's not always accurate, but I think he's got a nice left foot. In other words, he can have a nice shape with his crossing. And speed of his crosses. There was that lovely cross late on, wasn't there, where he squared it across the box. It got cut out, but it, it was a beautiful ball. Yeah. I mean, in terms of distance covered, he was he ran the second uh, most distance of anyone in our team. I think Bentancur was the only player who ran more. Really? So uh, Cess yeah. ran 11.3 kilometres in the game. I thought he was really good. And I think, you know, it, it's... I mean, I, I would have said Hoybier was our best player yesterday, but I, I thought... A hundred percent, and we'll get into that for sure. But but I thought Cess was really good. And yeah. I think, apart from with dead balls or you know certain fixed positions, I think he's our best left wing back at the moment. I think Perisic um, is very, very good in the final third and is very good from corners and set pieces. But overall, I think his game has been... I think Cess is better than him on the evidence of this season. I mean, I think this is most certainly the time to give him the shirt and let him push on. This is the moment, I feel, uh, to give him that confidence. And, you know, as as well, you know, Ivan is not getting any younger. So that makes that decision possibly slightly easier. But I agree with you. I think he certainly deserves the chance now to really nail that position and make it his. I, yeah. and I, I would agree with that. I mean, I like Perisic, but he does defend like a 33-year-old, basically. And there's been a few tricksters on the wing there when he's played against them and they literally walk past him quite easily. So that might come back to bite us in another game. But of course, there's, as we always say, there's games to go around and there'll be other games where we're dominating yes. more and, or we'll might need Perisic's quality more. We'll be more, 
you know, we'd be more forced to think, look, just stay forward more because your delivery is excellent. Um, and, and of course, just from game to game at the moment, it's, you know, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday, you know. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, Cessignon made a mistake on the 70, 77th minute um, where he, it was a loose ball and Welbert got a shot away from it, which was, I think he got a roasting from um, yeah. Dyer for that. But other than that, I thought he was very, very strong defensively. And yeah, I think you're right. I think Perisic has looked like a 33-year-old converted winger defending. I think Cess is a lot better defensively. And I would be starting Cess in the big games. Yeah, I might be misreading this, but the other thing you can get sometimes when you're a bit of an established kind of, um, you know, uh, and your manager kind of speaks of you in such glowing terms like Perisic is, you're an established, done it all star, is sometimes you can be, and I, maybe this is wrong because Conte wouldn't allow it, but sometimes you can just think you're a bit kind of above doing some of the kind of defensive stuff occasionally. <laughs> you kind of, you know, like, and, and I know the extreme example would be Ronaldo, obviously completely uninterested in doing anything defensively now. And, and, Probably Conte wouldn't allow it, but sometimes I just think that can be a problem with a, a very established, experienced player. They might be slightly above their station. From you know, might be reading that wrong, but but also, yeah, I mean, realistically, he's thirty three years old and he's moved to the best league he's ever played in. Yeah, that's the and, other thing. Yeah, um, and you know, obviously, Serie A and, and Bundesliga and what have you are, are good leagues. But the Premier League is better, yeah. and you know, the overall quality of the league is better. And week in, week, out. Mm. Week in and it's fast. Yeah. And I just, think, I just think you face a different type of player in the Premier League than you do in the other leagues. And mm. um, and that's not that's not to say Perisic is a bad player. He's not a bad player, and I think uh, you know he's he's a really useful squad member to have. But I'd have Cesc above him. Mm. Well, look, I mean, let's just wrap this up by saying I don't. I think that's. I think anyone who was saying that at all, we we all know how good Ivan Perisic is, and we all uh, understand his his what he brings to us as a team and a squad. But it goes back to that thing where you know this is Cessy's time to show it. This is the time, and in order to show it, he should be given a consistent run of games. I personally am still worried about him defending with a ball over the top diagonally. That still concerns me. But the only way he's going to learn how to deal with that is through obviously the relentless trading and playing football matches. So we have to take that. We we have to give him the chance. I, I would I would agree. And we've got you know we've got Destiny and Doggy coming in next season, and you know we're going to have a you know sport a sport for. Uh, for for options, aren't we at, at, at uh, left back? It it might be a bit like we've got a right wing back this season, where we've got you know kind of three players, and you know you're not quite sure who, who's who fits where in, in in the pecking order. So, um, again, you know maybe as he ages, actually Perisic as a kind of cameo utility exactly. player is is, is a is a really well, good option if he comes on for the well, final thirty David minutes. In, yeah. <laughs> He's David Carradine of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club at the and the playing side, isn't he? He just goes, you know, he's everyone goes up to him and says, "Grasshopper, what do I do in this situation?" He'll probably become that man in three or four different roles for three or four different younger you know, uh, players that we have in the it, side. You know, he came on for Sun yesterday. We've talked about, you know, he could he could cover for Decky. You know, it would be you know a great bench option to have in you know in, in its last year last year at the club, presumably. <laughs> mm. Yeah, one one final view from the game with um, Cess and Perisic was um, he, uh, he, I think he received it from Richarlison and then gave it away to a Brighton player, didn't he, Cess, who then shot. Mm. And I think we either saved it or he missed. And literally when he... Yeah, there's a Welbeck one I mentioned. I think he uh, he just hooked it past the post. Yeah. No, this is the second half. Just basically what, what I'm leading up to is Cess gave it away to one of their players and Conte instantly called Perisic over to say, look, get your kit on, you're going on. Yeah. And I thought it was, I thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm so glad that the person didn't score because I thought that's almost one of those things that can set you back weeks with um, Conte or your confidence. And then he called Perisic over and I thought even then he was quite angry that Cess, because obviously the game was in the balance then that Cess might have, you know, given something away. But um and then to my amazement, I think he took someone else off completely, didn't he? And left Cess yeah. on. He took uh Basuma off, I think. It's the one I'm talking about. It was um uh a seventy seventh minute. Oh okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, because I think Wellback had a shot in the first half as well, didn't he, where she just dragged just past the post. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So and it was just after that that um yeah, Perisic came on for some. We talked about leaders a little bit. We talked about Eric Dyer. Um, and if we haven't talked about leaders, we are going to now because you mentioned Eric Dyer, um, who, as you quite rightly pointed out, Milo, was uh, making uh, Cess aware 
that that was perhaps not the smartest bit of football he played all season. Uh, but that's what Eric Dyer does. He leads. He's not afraid to speak. He's not afraid to do the ugly stuff. He was excellent again yesterday. And right beside him, we had the player that you and I know of, or just mentioned, was our man of the match. We had Pim- yeah, the, the much underappreciated Pierre Emil Hoybier, who was uh, just tremendous yesterday. And I mean, again, it's, it's it's not fancy, it's not flash, but my word, it's just invaluable to have a player like that in your engine room at a moment like this in the club's week and history and whatever. He was he was tremendous, wasn't he? Yeah, I thought he was really strong. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier on about when him and uh, Benton Kerr were kind of man-marking, pushing higher up the pitch. During that that um, phase of the game, we were doing really well at turning the ball over high up the pitch and and uh, creating attacks from that. And uh, Hoybier had a couple of chances where he'd um, you know, intercepted or, or closed down a player and uh, and robbed them of the ball. I mean, his stats yesterday, so 94 touches, uh, one possession 10 times, nine passes into the final third, four passes into the opposition box, four interceptions, four clearances, two duels won, one chance created, one take on completed. You know, so you've got right the way through the, the pitch there. I thought I thought he had an absolutely superb game. Really good. Yeah, I think we're, um, I think they're very much, I think probably the pair of them are very much um, just under, you know, underappreciated, I think. I think when you watch them live, they get through so much work in the middle there. And as I said before, they're so often outnumbered in the first place. And they're fighting fires all the time. And it's not like it 100% detracts from anything they're doing creatively. They're still finding like the release, trying to release the ball and finding the short passes. And Hoiberg definitely yesterday was was bang on his game. And and I think, as you alluded to earlier, Steph, he he was another person that had to hunt with a ref. He got absolutely nothing from that ref yesterday. And um, and as I said, I don't think he was in that boat alone, to be honest. I think everyone kind of had to hunt with the ref. He's a player who never gets anything from refs, it seems to me, because they just look at him and it's almost like, oh, well, you can take it. I mean, I know that's a very, very sort of remedial view of the the game. And it's obviously not like that, but it projects like that sometimes. And uh, yeah, terrible. And And let me... so I was just going to say, I did actually feel a little bit sorry for Bentacore and um, Hoiberg because after 70 minutes, um, when he um, hoiked Basuma off, I thought it was a case of like, oh, look, you've had your third man help for 70 minutes there. You two can just carry on on your own like you usually do. And I'm thinking, well, when then two two poor blokes going to get any rest? Because they, like, you know, they don't get anything at all. They're just relentless. Just off the back of that point, uh, you know, it's interesting you say that. I think that part of, um, and I don't know if this is... Uh, true or not my take on it was that part of being able to sit back and defend as comfortably as we did it almost does give you a little bit of rest with that with that extra man in there anyway so even though it's not physical you're going to sit on the bench for 20 minutes and get 20 minutes off I think we were I think the limiters were on at that point and we were absorbing a lot we weren't taxing too much in terms of uh, really having to chase anything right so maybe they did get a bit of rest after all yeah and I think you know the original way we set up I think was primarily um, because we were expecting Brighton to sit back and recycle deep and, and, and invite us on, um, and as the game changed, Conte was um, you know happy to let the you know, game roll. But you know by that point um, we were playing predominantly on the counter, so you know that th- that three man midfield makes less sense at that point. One brief thing actually, again about um, a difference we saw with uh, playing three five two was that we it did allow Benton Kerr and Hoybier to split and go out wide and that gave a little bit of um uh kind of license so when we're playing out from the back uh to allow the wing backs to push further forward so there's a few times particularly with Hoybier where he was um you know picking up the ball and uh, uh, and playing it on that uh, yeah just just gave us a little, little bit more license and, and and more options out from the back. Yeah, and to that point, I think that neither Hoybier or Bentoncourt get their due for actually being able to play a really nice pass and being able to really hit you know hit a channel with with, with a. I mean, we're not quite seeing the connections as sharply as we'd like to in the last few games, but you can certainly see the intent and the ideas and and the ability is there. So it is it is something that both of them have in their locker when they're given the chance to to really to really uh, employ it. So yeah, it, it it's. It's an interesting, it is going to come up over and over again, isn't it? It's going to be something that we see. I think what I'm saying is I would have just been happy to like take Basuma off there and put Skip in for him and keep that shape. And then Richarlison would have just replaced either Son or Kane, really, because two people you're 100% bringing on there that are going to give no one any kind of peace and quiet. Brighton, you know, Richarlison chasing people in the forward line and Skip just doing what Skip does. 
But I would have just been a bit more comfortable doing that, really. Not that it made much difference. A word on Richarlison there, because I think that he has um, been putting in some really, really manful performances for us in terms of just, you know, aptitude and and really doing the best he can and really, uh, you know, pushing and pushing. But he's not playing in his preferred position. Um, You know, he came on again, you know, uh, substitute. But, you know, he's 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 doing a job for the squad right now. Um, and I think it's well worth noting that when people look at the statistics around him, they might be like, well, he's not, not really doing very much, is he? He's not really justifying. But I think he's actually sacrificing himself right now for the, for, for the team. And I think that's a really, really, a really, really noble thing. Um, <laughs> anyone want to come in on that? Yeah, so he started off on right, you know, right wing forward, didn't he? And then moved to centre forward once Harry went off. Um, you know, so a change of formation to bring him on and then a change of formation after Harry goes off. So, um, and, and in a game actually where we weren't, you know, by the time, certainly kind of the last 10, 15 minutes, we weren't offering too much going forwards, were we? We were, um, we were trying to soak it up and see the game out by that point, really, weren't we? So, yeah, yeah not not ideal. I mean, layering on another small reason, I'm not saying this is a large part of it, but that might even be part of Conte's thinking. He says, I've, you know, I've had a, quite a good look at Sun Kane and Richarlison together and, yeah, it's kind of okay, but it's not really like, you know, making him kind of do cartwheels or anything. And he might, and that might have been another reason he might have thought, well, let's just play two of them and see if that kind of ekes out a bit better. I'm not saying, you know, just, it's just thoughts, isn't yeah. it, really? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure we'll see, um, Richarlison and, uh, Perisic as a front two too often. <laughs> no, quite. Bless him. Bless them. One thing about Sonny as well, I'm getting tired of this and I, you know, I'll touch on other things I'm getting tired of in a moment. Um, but I am tiring of uh, the consistent criticisms of Sonny. I mean, he's he's not having the easiest of seasons, that's for sure. If you keep on measuring him against last season, you're a fool. That was an incredible season um, and, and, and one that is going to be hard for any player to repeat, let alone him, even though he has consistently hit 20 goals a season in his career. So he's got plenty of time to do that, by the way. But again, let's just look at this statistically. One assist yesterday and, uh, you know, he was an inch away from another absolute worldie. I mean, he was, you know, you could argue he was very unlucky with the offside, albeit it was a very tight, accurate offside. (laughs) It was, but it was a, but it was a a wonderful finish. And, you know, again, lovely strike and nobody's playing it like he's offside, like they know he is. Everyone's playing. So, you know, Yes, there are a couple of moments where he is frustrating, not the least of which when he burst forward and got caught in, in, in three time zones, I think, as to whether to slip Harry in, which is probably what he should have done, or at least just larrap it. I mean, he got caught and the chance went. I'm sure See. you remember that, Ricky. It was at your end. But, you know, let's have a little respect for him. <laughs> he still produced... I think he was no I thought he was better yesterday I mean there was those few moments I mean as you say that offside goal I mean that's the the trademark sunny finish now isn't it really get it on your left and just curve it over the top of the corner in the top corner but um and there was a there was another one I think where Romero came forward with the ball came pulled out a little bit and created a channel for Sonny and they passed a nice ball into him his just first touch was just off and it was in and that was actually his fault. It wasn't like the ball was overstretched or anything. But um, I think he was better yesterday. He seemed a bit, you know, he seemed a bit more, I don't know. I, th- I think it's a less demanding role in playing in the front too. I think it requires him to yes. kind of think less. And, you know, obviously, you know, him and Kane know each other's game. So I think it was less demanding. I, I still don't think he was particularly good. He he is off form. Um, but, you know, he he's a player who always goes through a, a patch where he's off form each season. This one's probably been a bit longer than, than most of them, but he'll come good. He will. And again, I mean, I, I agree. He is a bit off form, but again, it's an off form Sonny yesterday who still contributed an important assist mm. in a game that we won 1-0. I think it's just worth pointing that out. I think I think last season I said that um, he basically elevated himself up to the cane bracket, which is, I don't really care if he's on form or off form because I just completely trust him really that he will run back into that form at some point and be a massive contributor. So, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't really worry about it too much. Yeah, and I think you know he's he's another player who will benefit massively when Decky's back. Um, oh, you know, as a front, Absolutely as a front right. three, uh, him, Kane, and Decky have got a lovely blend. And you know, you talk yeah. about Richarlison. You know, Richarlison could come in there and and sub out for Kane or Son. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've got we've got options there. All of them are, are good, so it will come good. 
we must address Harry as we must do most weeks. Um, he's the first Premier League player now to score 100 plus away goals with his uh, deft uh, finish yesterday. Um, I think most of his goals this season have been scored with his head. Over half of them, actually. I shouldn't say most. Uh, over half of them have been headers. Uh, if it wasn't for the cyborg in uh, <laughs> in Manchester, he would be uh, once again at the top of the goal scoring charts. Um and this is despite him still missing on a regular basis chances you would expect him to, to, to put away for funny. Again, he had another one the second half yesterday where he's rolled his marker in brilliant came fashion. You just are looking at the bottom left-hand corner thinking that's where it's going. And it didn't. So he's still not quite hitting the moments and he's getting kicked from pillar to post, by the way, as well. No protection. So, Harry Kane. But, I mean, there's 12 goals in his last 12 Premier League games. So um, it's not yeah. doing bad. And no, think, I, exactly. And, to your point. Um, so, you know, if it wasn't for um, kind of that Norwegian meat shield, he'd be... Dude, that just sounds so wrong. <laughs> Can you say that a little louder, please? And a little slower. <laughs> you just called Erling Brute Harland. What did you call him? A Norwegian meat shield. Oh dear, that does conjure some horrible images. Is it just me, Ricky, or is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I thought that was yeah mm, disturbing. Anyway, disturbing. carry on. <laughs> um, have, I'm sure we have various names for him as the season goes through. The old Harlem, it's going to be so. tough to beat Norwegian meat shield. I immediately think of like popping veins and things. Is that just me? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, twelve and twelve is it, really good. Um, He's he scored in each of his last four appearances. Um, he's now 10 goals off going level with Jimmy Greaves' record for us. You wouldn't bet him against, wouldn't bet against him doing that before the World Cup because that's all competitions. Yeah. And he's still slightly, but he's still slightly off form. I mean, it is quite frightening in a way, isn't it? At the beginning of the season, we were talking about, you know, when this season he would pass Greaves. And, you know, if he was, if you'd said then he'll do it by the World Cup, which is possible, you know, 10, 10 goals feels, you know, if he's doing 12 in 12, it feels possible, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. it does. We've had a bit of a moan about the ref. That yellow card for the handball was, was bizarre. Absolutely just, bizarre. Just ridiculous. I mean, absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it? It, it was a handball, but I didn't get the feeling that, you know, give a free kick and yeah, bizarre. It, it, it it, I, I, bizarre is one word. I would call it pathetic. I thought it was a, an awful decision from, a, I believe, a rookie ref. I'm not correct. Is it's he one of season. the promoted up from the championship refs? Is he? Not sure. Not sure. Uh, but he's definitely new. Yeah, because before the game, I hadn't, I didn't know who he was. Two more to throw. Do you think it's really possible to gauge just how much everyone was hurting? Uh, around this game. I mean, you know, Conte was tearing up before the game. Harry caught his breath afterwards and wiped a tear away in the TV interview post-match. Um, you know, is it possible to gauge how hard it is for players that emotionally connected to someone um, in that moment? Uh, does anyone understand it? Can can we understand it? That's an incredible pressure, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty clear. I mean, you know, even before... Before kickoff, um, how the players were feeling. Obviously, we'd seen the statements during the week. I think um, Conte's demeanour in in Frankfurt makes a lot more sense now than it did at the time. I think Ali Golder said yeah. he was offhand in the press conferences. Uh, you know, it's obviously been weighing on his mind, and I think it was. Um, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been very clear. Um, you know how much Vatroni you know meant to the players, and you know it's a bit surprising, really, isn't it? After kind of ten months at the club to have that kind of impact. Um, I know that say Ali Gold, his piece, his Tottenham Roundup this week, says that I think the fraternity say I think the club had known that he'd um, he'd had, you know, he'd contained the club, known he'd had um, uh, leukaemia. And it was before the Arsenal game, the, the Thursday when he phoned up Conte and said that he wasn't feeling well and could he miss training. And then... Oh, it was got, before the Arsenal game? Yeah. So... Oh, okay. And then he'd flown back to Italy to get checked up. And then this week, you know, it was Gazetta um, said that he'd gone to A&E on, on Tuesday night. Um, and then, so it's, you know, happened between Tuesday and Thursday. So, it would, you know, whilst people knew that the club would, you know, some of the, I, don't, I assume probably most of the players didn't know that, you know, his full medical history, but it's in Conte knew. Um, but it, you know, Tuesday to Thursday is very quick. And it, it must have must have really come as a shock. Yeah, I think in these situations, the suddenness of it really does have the impact because, from what the players have said, he's you know he was he was a light that shone brightly around that training complex, 
Yeah, I mean, he's a fitness, not just fitness, right? It seems like he was a counsellor to these players. I mean, Sonny ran up to him and they had a long hug after the Leicester hat-trick. I mean, it seems he was constantly giving advice and and inspirational stuff and talked about receiving texts from him on international duty, some of the players. I mean, it seems like he was a real, really keen to share his experience with them and and his passion, you know. That that Ali Goldpiece... That Ali Goldpiece talks about a player who'd lost a parent and the trainee was at the training ground waiting for the player to arrive. And as they arrived, he put his arm around them and then led them through to Conte's office Fantastic. to have a chat with them. And Fantastic. You know, I'm sure, I'm, sure you know, we've all, I'm sure we've all worked with people who've just, you know, got those kind of, yeah. that kind of connection. And I'm sure most of us aspire to try and do that kind of thing, but mm. can't do it because you've either got it or you haven't. And <laughs> yeah, it's that's not, exactly you know, the- Well, they are very rare qualities, aren't they? Especially in the world of professional sports, to find someone who's hard. I mean, he was obviously like, you know, he was bloody, you know, Clint Eastwood, Charles Bronson hard in terms of like driving on the pitch. To be able to drive players to the point of physical sickness in their quest for health, but then have their complete confidence because you're obviously some sort of empath on the other side of it. Mm. What a combination. I mean, it would be a massive hole left. And 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 this just brings me to, to a chief point, and this is the final point I really want to get into here, which is, yeah, are we getting the respect we deserve as a football club right now? We've just had three away games in a week. We've had two clean sheets. The one defeat we had, we we, we arguably it was only happened because we handed them two massive gifts. And even the win against Brighton has been discussed in many areas without any emotional context. And we're getting like, you know, these like, oh, this is boring and this is this and this is that. I I think we're being completely under-respected. Would you agree with this? Yes, but Brighton haven't lost a home game for seven months. They're a good side. They've scored eight goals in their last two games before this. You know, they're on form Uh, and they're a tough opponent. Against that, they've got a new manager. They're obviously halfway between a change in styles. But, you know, they're a really good team. I thought yesterday was hard fought, hard won. Um, I I think sometimes you view results, you view games through the result, through the scoreline. So I think Arsenal game is one like that, where I think actually for large chunks of the game, we played pretty well. Obviously, we shot ourselves in the foot. Um, and But then obviously losing to your fiercest rivals kind of colours everything. I think Frankfurt in midweek, I thought we played pretty well. But yeah, we. I think you know if you're not playing Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, or Juventus, then you know our fan base expects us to roll roll over everyone in Europe, and it's not like that. Yeah, bizarrely, yesterday um, was our second lowest in terms of XG. It was our second lowest XG of the season. The West Ham game was the only one with the worst XG, but actually it was a pretty solid performance. Um, you know, again, Brighton got a higher XG than us. They had more shots. They had more shots on target. But, you know, I thought it was a, a gritty backs against the wall performance. I think you're right, Steph. We've had a run of difficult fixtures this last week. Um, and to come out of that, um, as we have is, is pretty good. And, you know, we're third in the league after a tough start to the season and not playing particularly well. Uh, you know, if we can if we can maintain this position um, as we get to the World Cup, we're in a really really good position to push on in the second half of the season. Disrespect? Um, you have to tell me about the disrespect, Steph, because uh, I don't read anything, mate. Um, <laughs> I don't give I don't give a shit what anyone else is thinking, to be honest. Um, oh, I like you know, that. I mean, good for you. Yeah, good. Um, yeah. Well, no, it's just that I don't know. You're probably not getting it from places like Sky Sports and Talk Sport and that because they don't do anything for me or anyone else really too much. So I will. Yeah, go on. I'll explain. Yeah, I'll explain. I'm taking it as a cross section. And actually, most disturbingly, and this is uh, possibly where I need. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) This is possibly where I, uh, you know, I need a little bit of uh, balance myself. I think that our own support base, the ones who decide to go public, are parroting an awful lot. Uh, of, of, of the same old rubbish that they see popularised in mainstream media. And there's this current idea that football can only be played one way and that unless it's with a creative midfielder like a Christian Eriksen, uh, you know, or a Martin Odegaard, you know, you're not, you know, you're not playing proper football. It's not the way to play. And so, of course, Antonio Conte plays a different style of football. It's the Guardiolarisation of football. It's, that's, yeah. that is the template that everyone's meant to follow. And if you don't do that, yeah, then I think, you're criticised. I think there's also sections of our fan base that expect us to roll over everyone three nil, and uh, and uh, just pissed off when we don't, you know, sign, you know, sign players for hundred million yeah, pounds. Think, and, um, you know, that's the basis. 
I think yeah. as a neutral or even some Spurs fans, like stylistically, probably are, you know, a neutral certainly might think, well, you're not really a great watch. You're a bit, you know, you do grind things out a bit, just in the same way as loads of them would poo-poo probably Leicester when they went to win the league and that kind of thing, the style that they played. But I just think it's like, um, I mean, realistically, the game, only 90 minutes of football happen. well, at the moment, 180 minutes of football a week happens to digest, doesn't it, as a Spurs fan each week. And the amount of detail and discourse that goes on around it is just massively kind of, it almost takes over the kind of what really is actually going on. Because sometimes not a lot is going on. Like I said in this pod, like week to week at the moment, not, I mean, we had, we had something to talk about in the sense of a formation change this week, but other weeks we kind of just nudging along and we're racking up the points but not a lot actually goes on and I think I think the problem some of these fans have as well is it's almost as though the conversation and the comments and the discourse is more important than almost, almost overtakes what mm. what's actually going on you know what I mean they're more important about getting the latest kind of like bit of snippet of information or hot take yeah. or that kind of thing than actually you know I- and I think I have no problem with people wanting to overanalyze in a sense. I mean, I, I, I'm somewhat with you in the regard that I think you can decontextualize things to the point where it just nothing makes sense. It's like if you look at a word long enough, if you look at the word through long enough and keep on saying it over and over to yourself, it just starts to look ridiculous. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I agree with that. But I think what really is frustrating to me right now, and especially with some of the, 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 the mainstream critics, is that they're parroting things without research and without context and without an understanding of where we're at. And we do this in this pod all the time. We talk about the amount of games these players are playing, the almost inhumane conditions uh, that they're going to be playing in this season with regards to time. Um, And you talked about the details uh, for each game. And then we throw in the emotional lot of what happened this week for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. There's no context. And we're probably back to what you said at one point, I think, last week, Milo, which is it's all black and white. There's no context. But that's sports journalism, Steph. There has to be a narrative. There has to be a story over the season. They have to be able to characterise or, you know, caricature a team in in a, in a soundbite. Yes, and, that's... you know, and, and, and that's that's how we're being characterised. And, um, you know, nuance is lost in that. And then it becomes a truism that gets repeated in the pub or on a forum or on Twitter yeah. or on Facebook or Absolutely you know wherever right. else. And and it becomes, you know, the framing around everything that uh you know, everything is discussed. You know, we talk about Hoybier, you know, Hoybier is judged as um, you know, m- most of our fan base think he's bang average and it is an easy upgrade. But, you know, countless managers have trusted him, um, you yeah. know, both at our club and others, and he's coveted by other clubs. And you know, p- people don't see it. I, you know, I saw criticism today on Twitter. Someone saying, well, you know, he doesn't, you know, he's, he's not a creative player. Was would, What is Conte's system? How is Conte asking his team to set up? What is he asking him to do? Right. And 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 then, you know, judge him, judge him on what he's being asked to do, not judging him against your ideal vision of what a midfielder is. He's not Gazza. Of course he's not Gazza. But Gazza wouldn't fit into this Conte team. Or if he did, he'd be playing off the left or right yeah, wing. You know, it's just. I'd love to see Conte managing Gaza. That would be a sight, wouldn't it? Crikey! <laughs> but you know, if you're not Hoddle or Gaza, then everyone gets on your back. And 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 I agree. And I think you know, to nutshell everything that we've been talking about in the last five minutes, and you've done an excellent job in defining what the issue is. You know, there are narratives that are created, and there are tags that are worn. And I just want our supporters, our fan base, to understand that is what is happening, and and that what's what happens. And maybe to have a little bit of a siege mentality right now. You know, rather than joining in uh, lazily with this to have your say, let's have a siege mentality. Let's get behind this team and get behind this side and. Rec- recognize we're in a great position right now and and Conte called on the fans to do that on Wednesday night didn't he there was, oh, he did. was a right. rallying call and said you know oh, he's right we want the noise we want we want yes. that atmosphere we want this to be intimidating and I think you know they would have been I mean frankly it was deafening wasn't it in Frankfurt last week I mean it's only watching on TV but you know yeah. it was really it was really loud and they didn't stop yeah. from the beginning to the end and uh, I think also probably Conte's calling on that so you can't hear the whingers. I think so, yeah. I think he is, that's what he is, he is pushing towards. Drown, but, um, drown out the negative vibes that, you know, drown out the, the mumblings yeah. and the groanings and stuff. And let's just, you know, it's I'm, not so, it's not just about the noise, is it? It's about actually trying to create a positive atmosphere. I yes, did actually, I, uh, one comment again from the game yesterday. We did have, um, do you remember one of those kind of spontaneous kind of, we had a spontaneous 10, 15 minutes where the support was really, 
really good. I think it was about the 55th minute. And Jimmy just like comes from nowhere. Yeah. And I did actually think I saw a difference in the team. And I know that sounds kind of like, you know, I'm no, just it doesn't. fantasy land. But it did. It kind of like, do you know when we just get one of those continuous chants going? It's not fantasy land. It's not fantasy land. Don't, 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 don't go, don't go double down on it. Don't go backwards on yourself. Double down on it. Because what you observed is absolutely right. It's so important. And that's why we're saying it. And uh, thank you for pointing it out because it is important. So if you're listening and you're at the game, get there. Yeah, get behind definitely. them. They need you because it does make a difference. Um, closing thoughts, one positive, one negative uh, in 30 seconds, please, gentlemen. Three, two, one, Milo. We're all going to have the same positive, aren't we? So we, should we just say that you know, given the hard week and everything that's gone on to kind of come out the other end of that with the result is just, the ultimate positive and and hopefully it becomes something that the team can galvanize around and kind of move on i'm assuming that's kind of all our positive and you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher the rest of the question this week i don't think this is a week to discuss negatives let's just leave it there you're absolutely right yeah i i think that that positive is the only thing that we need to end on this week i think it's uh, the perfect note to sign off on um and it accurately uh, describes what has been uh, the conclusion of a, of a tough week for the club but they've come through with you know come through pretty damn well so thank you chaps Cheers, Cheers, we'll be back next week to discuss our home games against frankfurt in the champions league and everton in the premier league and we would love it if you could leave us a review on itunes and spotify or recommend us to your Spurs supporting and other friends. I thought you were going to go full Keegan keep growing. Then. And by the way, we have... <laughs> I'd love it. I'd absolutely love it if you would leave us a review. <laughs> I'd love it. <laughs> he just told you. Ladies and gentlemen, Milo Keegan is demanding a review from you. And I'm just going to say thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next week. <laughs> Cheers.